Hello everyone, Joshua Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me at the conclusion of the Clone Wars is Tom Harper and Stephen Tolofield. No one's spelled out goodbye in rocks yet, but this is one heck of a rough episode to watch. Tom, Stephen, how you each feeling? Well, I needed to watch approximately seven hours of puppy videos after that to regain my spirits. And having done that, I, I feel like I'm leveled out now. Yeah, I'm with you. It's just like the emotional desolation that that um, episode caused. It was really rough um, and beautifully done, uh, beautifully rendered, and the performances were incredible, but it was hard. It certainly felt like the end of an era. The music was exceptional because it was not Star Wars-y. Parts of it were during the fight, but the beginning and the end felt like a 70s sci-fi type callback. I, it's familiar, but I can't place it. Feel. Stephen, all I could think of when I watched the episode was your Blade Runner comparison from our last recording. And I was like, it's back and it's wreaking havoc on my emotions. Totally. And, you know, um, I was corresponding with Josh a little bit, too. And I think um, it might also recall the Brian Eno score to Dune after I was thinking about it a little bit more. This is sort of sustained, like kind of synthy sounds. It's very yes, 80s. Yes. There's a, it conveys a feeling of loss. I don't know if dread is there, but definite loss. That something's definitely missing and not going to come back and could be forgotten. So it's, it's the emotional toll that this has is incredible. And it's brilliant filmmaking. And fortunately, they have very quickly put the uh, the audio for the the final arc. Now the entire season is available on Spotify for free, and then uh, you can buy it on iTunes, which is nice. And then you can just relive that emotional tsunami every single day. <laughs> I like having sort of ambient music playing in the background when I do that. And so I found uh, I can't work with everything. So like certain Star Wars music, I can't have playing in the background, like uh, the asteroid chase from Empire Strikes Back or the Battle of Hoth. Like that gets my blood pumping too much. But some like sad synthy music might be just the trick to get me to just focus and like try to box out my emotions and focus on my work. Or you're just going to look at the wall and cry. There's a couple ways this could go. There's no in-between. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of another place and another time, and I can't remember what it is. It's a very surreal emotion this music inspires. Which brings us to... Uh, legal analysis because people aren't here for our emotional reaction to music and, and to the plot, even though this is how uh, Revenge of the Sith should have made people feel. Instead, this, this is beautiful. So we have lots of concise legal issues to get into, and this is different. And the hangar deck scene, we have uh, the standoff between Rex and Jesse. 
and there's uh, allegations of treason and Rex saying, hey, Ahsoka's not part of the Jedi Order anymore. We shouldn't just shoot her. Thomas, you, you brought this up. Can you opine upon it? My friend John texted me at like 3.45 a.m. the day it came out last Monday and was like, you need to watch this now. He was like, there's, there's one scene in particular that seems to be t- tailor-made for you. And I watched and this scene played and I was like, yep, that was about right. <laughs> it, was, it was very much akin to the episode with Pong Krell, the Jedi who betrayed and, and uh, sort of tried to, to kill a bunch of the 501st and whatnot where you get these allegations thrown around, except here it's, you know, one of Rex's like longest serving lieutenants, so to speak, uh, in Jesse uh, marshalling an entire clone force and, and sort of staring down at uh, Rex with a real sinister level of threat. And it's carried with that added weight that as Rex described in the, uh, an episode before. So, that it's an on-the-spot execution order if you <laughs> violate Order 66, if you refuse to comply with it. And I won't retread ground too much, but we did discuss this concept of treason and following disobeying Order 66 in the last episode. And uh, you know what I want to touch on here is not so much a, a rehash of, of all those rules, uh, but to touch briefly on the concept of, of orders in general and sort of their importance and, and, you know, I, the concept of it, the concept of, of there being legal weight to an order is kind of familiar to us. I mean, if you disobey a police officer's order in some circumstances that can land you in hot water, but like if your boss tells you to, to be at work at, you know, 8am and you just blow them off, that's an order, but are you, going to go to jail for it? No, you might get fired, but there's not really any criminal consequences to it. But the military sort of has an entire, you know, line of laws that are dedicated to this concept that following orders when you're in uniform is really important. And understandably, when you're in a wartime situation, the the stakes are higher. And in fact, uh, even outside of mutiny and sedition or treason, um, if you fail to follow or if you consciously refuse to follow a lawful order uh, that's given to you in wartime, it can be a capital offense. It doesn't have to be prosecuted like that, but it's got that added weight. And that that's a, a recognition that uh, this is serious stuff. And, and I think that's where this execution order in, in order 66 uh, probably stems from. I mean, it's, it's an extreme stretch to say you can set aside all due process and just carry out the punishment immediately. I don't think that would fly. But this notion that this order is so important and so integral to our operations that by violating it, you are putting countless numbers of clones and Republic citizens in danger and that that should carry a higher penalty. That's not a foreign concept at all. Um, The interesting thing here is I think Stephen, you mentioned this argument before it, it happened on screen that you know, we might argue that Ahsoka is not a Jedi anymore, so he's technically not breaking Order 66. And I think he's got a, a real argument there. Jesse has none of it and just immediately escalates the confrontation. But uh, it's so funny to watch Rex sort of make this, like, legally nuanced argument 
while facing down like a hundred blasters. <laughs> really was a very uh, nice moment of lawyering from Rex that I was sort of not expecting. He really leaned into a very textual analysis of Order 66 to say, well, it says Jedi and she's not a Jedi and hasn't been for some time. Um, and Jesse sort of lowers his blasters for a moment. He has to think about it. But he's like, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> um, he sort of, see, he comes back around to like your orders, your, the ones you gave yourself or that Ahsoka Tano personally is, is subject to this order. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting way of, of, of how uh, Rex worked with the language there. Lots to learn for some law students, I think. And the same would go for Maul. The order wasn't just for Force users, it was Jedi, and Maul clearly was not a Jedi. That brings us to the second part that happens with the confrontation where Jesse says Rex is demoted, and, and Rex says, like, well, I didn't like being the commander anyway. Tom, again, your thoughts on military law, rearing its head in this exchange what i love is that there were people that pounced on his promotion as like a plot hole that they wouldn't have thought through before this episode came out that folks were like well he was referred to as captain rex in rebels and what happened with this promotion aha and and we get this beautiful resolution of it in this episode um, interestingly, in the real world, there is a difference between how officers, uh, meaning like lieutenants and captains and majors and, and on up the chain, are treated and how non-commissioned officers or enlisted soldiers, so a private, a sergeant, all the way up to a sergeant major, are treated. Uh, enlisted folks, enlisted soldiers can be demoted uh, as a result of a court-martial, as a result of an administrative action. Um, it can be the result of misconduct. You can get demoted for inefficiency, um, all range of things. Interestingly, officers cannot be demoted. So I can be really, really bad at my job. And the best that they can do is refuse to promote me, obviously. They can strip me of my position. So Rex could have been uh, relieved for cause as a commander, say, you know, and, and I can't think of a a better cause to relieve a clone commander for than refusing to, to execute order 66, but he can't be demoted. He can be totally kicked out of the military. Um, and, and they call that a dismissal from service. And so it's, it functions sort of like a dishonorable discharge of sorts. And that completely strips you of your commission. So you hold no rank at that point uh, um, in, in any capacity but there's no knocking you down a peg. So uh, Jesse's sort of ad hoc little court-martial here on the deck of the Star Destroyer has some elements of truth to it, but he couldn't really promote him. So I guess we're back to it being a plot hole. I don't know. <laughs> here's, here's a question. On board a ship, the, uh, someone who's a commander, who's in command of the ship, could be, would be referred to as captain because they're the captain of the ship, even though they're not a captain in rank. Could a similar situation have come into play where Rex was still a captain in rank and you know, from administrative uh, determination, it was the commander of that detachment of the 501st? Yeah, totally. And that's, um, 
that's one way to look at it. I, I think here he did get promoted in rank, and we know that clone commander or or marshal, clone marshal commander are actual ranks within this like weird gobbledygook rank system that they have. So I do think his was an actual like demotion from a rank. But you're right about positional authority as well. He previously held the the title of commander because he was commander of Torrent Company. Um, which is just a smaller segment of the 501st. And you see that reflected all over the military, uh, you know, at, at all, all sorts of levels. You could have a, a company commander, a battalion, brigade commander, a division commander, and you could retain your rank and be stripped of that, that power. So you could no longer be the commander of Torrent Company because you messed up, but you're still walking around with captain rank on your chest. Um, here, I think it's both. He's stripped of his command of that detachment and of his commander rank. It's well, such a trope in, in um, so much sci-fi and in, uh, action movies where there's a commander who's like relieved of duty and escorted off the bridge um, by, by security. And I, I just wondered if there's, there must be some sort of process um, in the military for when uh, a leader becomes incapacitated, but regards themselves as still in command. Um, and so it must be a really weird line between mutiny and removing someone who's no longer competent to lead. Um, and I wondered if there was any gray area there that they could argue about. Yeah, the, the process for relieving someone is actually quick uh, and it and straightforward. There's not much there's no due process to your uh, and and or you know right to a hearing or uh, some entitlement to your position as a commander. Um, think about the the Teddy Roosevelt, the, that aircraft carrier that was in the news recently. They relieved that captain, and he was off the ship within 24 to 48 hours. It was quick, and it's done that way for a reason because of situations like Josh raised where. Uh, and, and that you alluded to where you could have this split in loyalty where it undermines the incoming commander's authority to some degree. Uh, if you have folks that disagree and you still have that personality that's, that's floating around. Um, you know, I kind of think of, what is that movie? Crimson Dawn with, uh, or Crimson Tide uh, with uh, Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman and Gene Hackman, Hackman is still floating around the submarine uh, while this quote-unquote mutiny is playing out. And Rex was like a real threat here. I mean, he's like that commander that could have some level of sway. I mean, obviously, you've got the, the influence of those inhibitor chips going on. But Rex is sort of the, the poster child for why you can be stripped of command and, and you don't have to have all this red tape, uh, it, it, you know, except on the back end where you can challenge it and have an investigation. But uh, Rex holds so much sway. He's so highly regarded. He's this, uh, you know, phenomenal soldier and, and has this storied history in the clone wars. I mean, you know, what, what better figure for the clones to aspire to and to follow. And in a situation like this question their orders, if he's hanging around. So Jesse's got to silence him pretty quickly to, to move on with their business. Which then brings us how they got off the ship. And you know, I loved my Y-Wing fighter growing up. Thomas, I know you love Y-Wings too. 
feel like they made this episode just for you, Thomas. I, I, <laughs> like like Rex Dave in a Y wing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like this like dedicated to Thomas Harper on the, yeah. on the opening credit. They're, they're like they were running through the exploding fighter bay, and I was like, no, no, it won't be the last ship that's not been destroyed. So it is the last ship, and it has a little trouble firing up but that's okay. It gets going eventually, <laughs> but they do get going on a Y wing. And at this point, I, I, a really interesting question popped into my head about whether this is larceny of government, government property. And the underlying crime of larceny is the same in the UCMJ as it is um, in term elements wise as, as really any state law, uh, across the country. Uh, you, you've got to have an intentional taking uh, with the intent to permanently deprive someone else. When government property is involved, think of that like an aggravating factor. The, the sentence, your maximum sentence can go up if, if you've taken government property. And the idea being, we want to disincentivize soldiers from thinking they can just steal equipment uh, like expensive equipment, sensitive equipment, these things that they have regular access to that the public doesn't. And unquestionably, the Y-Wing is uh, Galactic Republic property, but is it larceny? Um, I think it depends on your view of Rex's status, whether he, um, he certainly hadn't been stripped of his, any authority. And I don't think you can make the argument that he intended to just steal this Y-Wing. I mean, when we see him in Rebels, he and Wolf and Gregor are still in some contact with the Empire. Like, clones have been retired, and they sort of, they function as, like, living probe bots or probe droids around the galaxy. They can contact the Empire and make reports and stuff. But um, I don't know that there was an actual taking of government property there. Um, he uses it to facilitate his escape. Uh, certainly he's still a soldier and, and has a need to survive. The fact that he, you know, rescues Ahsoka and it, a, a arguably a fugitive. I mean, maybe that's indicative of his intent to some degree, but I think it's a weak argument. Uh, I think you have a real problem establishing the, the intent element here. It seems like it's almost a necessity um, because it's like a, it's the ship is going down um, and it's like they're looking for a lifeboat, basically. Um, yes, they're fugitives, I suppose, um, from the law. But at the same time, I, I imagine that a jury would be sympathetic to them trying to salvage something from that wreck to, to get to safety. It, and the escape pods are gone because of Rex's order. <laughs> yeah, there's... You know, the, the only reason they'd be a fugitive is if Order 66 was legal. And we, we discussed that with the, the prior analysis of it likely is not. I don't think it would be. But uh, yeah, it does raise an interesting question. Did he steal the Y-Wing or was it, well, it was the last thing left that could fly. So it was this or write it to the ground. And that was not something you could survive. So you made the right call. Now, let's, the next one I have, we'll, we'll save that to the end because it works with the end. But is Rex a deserter? And 
I can't help but feel he's a man without a country because his loyalty was to the Republic, to democracy, and he fought for a set of ideals. And the government that he represented died. It literally turned into an empire. That doesn't sound like, you know, the government left him. He didn't leave government service. Did he desert when he flies off in that Y-wing? And Thomas, JAG officer, your reaction? It's, I would say it's, it's tough to say. We don't know where he goes after this. And even in the Ahsoka novel and the prologue, we don't fully know where he goes. We know he ends up on Celos, you know, some several years later uh, with his clone buddies and that he's sort of like in this retirement stage because they're not being hunted by the empire. But I, I, I don't think that, I, I think Ahsoka and Rex go their separate ways here. So this, I don't think you can safely conclude that, that Rex just cowboys off and has nothing to do with, with the Republic. From his standpoint, I don't know that he has a reason to run at this point. <clears throat> we know that he, they end up faking Ahsoka's death or they put like a, you know, they, they make it set up the scene to make it look as if she died. And all the witnesses went down with the ship. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all um, they're all buried there at the, the base of the Venator Star Destroyer at the end. So he doesn't really have to worry about Jesse or somebody turning him in. And desertion is a crime of abandonment, a permanent abandonment. Uh, you've probably heard the term AWOL thrown around just in movies or TV shows. AWOL is where you temporarily leave your duty without uh, approval or authorization. Desertion means you have to have the intent to completely abandon your duties. And if you do it during wartime, again, it's, it's a capital offense. And, you know, I, I struggle with that intent element again here because of knowing where we are. If Rex had really fully deserted the Republic, uh, a, a clone of his stature and uh, his sort of legend, I have to believe that the the new empire or the you know whatever was left of the republic, he would have been public enemy number one, uh, and they would have done at least initially uh, put some effort into hunting him. But that's not what we see here, or not what we see in Rebels, at least. On the flip side, if they thought he was dead, and they were busy consolidating power for their new empire slipped through the cracks. I mean, the ship was lost. Clearly, years go by before it's found. And there, it, it's a, the empires and won the Clone Wars, as that episode of Rebels discussed and stated that, that, that they were the true winner of the Clone Wars. So, for me, I see it as we don't know what happens exactly afterwards. We, you know, you know, how does he round up the other clone troopers? Do they all, when do they perform surgery on themselves to take out the inhibitor chips? We have a mild continuity issue with Clone Wars to Rebels. And since Filoni wrote this, that's all on him. Of Rex saying that we didn't turn on our Jedi, we removed our chips. It's like, 
Uh, well, the other From guys, a certain point of view. <laughs> he didn't. And if the other guys weren't around Jedi, maybe they didn't fire on their own Jedi if they weren't there. So, yeah. Um, but again, we don't know what happens in the immediate aftermath other than they had to spend a lot of time burying people, which gets into the issue of did they fake Ahsoka's death or did they just leave that implied because somebody had to bury the bodies? And uh, Stephen, what, what's your thought on faking your own death? Well, it's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, I sort of got the impression, at least from the Ahsoka book, that they had sort of intentionally left clues to make it seem as if they both had been killed in that final battle. And so it, it struck me that um, her decision to leave her lightsaber, um, I mean, there's so many layers to that act and the expression on her face when she does it is just so um, layered and, and complicated and interesting. But, but it, at least one motivation seemed to me that she wanted to leave a relic of her that would strike Anakin as being something she would not have otherwise left if she had not been killed. And that's sort of why it was so hard for her to separate from it. But so, so that to me says that she intended at least for, for them to believe that she had been killed or, or was no longer alive. Um, and it's, it's interesting because pseudocide is, is the technical name for when you fake your death, when there's a fake, uh, a fake death. Um, and it's not in and of itself a crime. It's not unlawful. There's, there's really no victim when uh, you've, there's been a fake death. Uh, the problem, of course, is that the motivation for pseudocide is often unlawful. It's typically, um, you know, fraud, uh, some sort of insurance scheme uh, to try to get money that uh, your heirs don't deserve, or there's um, fraud in the perpetration of the um, pseudocide itself. So falsifying documents, falsifying death certificates, falsifying driver's licenses, those sorts of ancillary conduct that would be unlawful when you fake your death. But, um, but there's, no, there's no real prosecution for pretending that you've, you've died if you are, just want to start fresh and, and think, leave everyone with the belief that you're no longer around. I thought it was interesting though. And like I said, I think that moment where she dropped her lightsaber was just such a remarkable moment of, of both her personal character and, and what it says about the Jedi overall. You, you think she lost the other in the escape from the ship? Or do you think she held on to one? Good question. I, I was kind of looking for that actually in that uh, in my second watch through and I didn't see it. Maybe someone else did um, that, where she lost it because she seemed to have both of them when she leapt for the, the Y-wing. She was kind of using both of them to climb up the, um, the incline of the ship as it was uh, listing. So um, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Thomas, did you catch it? No, it's unclear. Um, I even checked, and you're you're right that the I didn't go back and read the prologue, but the summary is that um, they fake their death. She leaves behind both lightsabers. Later on in the book, where she rebuilds her sabers and and gets the the white crystal or the the white blades, she rebuilds both. It, uh, she doesn't have the shoto, and sort of swap out crystals or anything like that she rebuilds two new lightsabers so 
I don't know that we, it, it'd be right in line with Filoni on a lot of stuff where it's sort of this little mystery that's left for us to wonder about and figure out. Not everything has to have an answer. Exactly. Falling out of the ship and being in free fall, kind of hard to hold on to things. So if she lost one, totally reasonable given what was happening. Somebody did send me a link. There's an Etsy uh, seller that has a phenomenal sticker that looks like an impound tag, an Imperial impound tag for the lightsaber. And they just put it on a little display box that the, the hilt is in. It's very, very cool. That's awesome. Which brings us to the final topic with this, and that's the duty to bury the clone troopers. Uh, like the 2014 timeframe, there were a lot of shows that dealt with dead bodies. And I ended up doing lots of research into dead bodies for blog posts because they kept like Sleepy Hollow had moving George Washington's remains and the show Resurrection had issues. So I ended up researching a lot of the law of dead bodies. And That's bleak, a, but yeah, useful, I suppose. There's a rich body of case law with dead bodies. Was there a duty to bury? Because we want bodies buried quickly or, or cremated because of disease, because we, it upsets the living. Uh, it can also be a threat to the living. There are issues afoot with, like, do you just leave all of those guys dead? Well, the law says there's a quasi-property right in dead bodies that vests in the nearest relatives of the deceased arising out of their duty to bury the dead. Well, in our case, they're clones. Rex is a clone. He's their brother. So he would be the closest living relative. So, yeah. So the nearest living relatives of the deceased have a quasi-property right in the body. This right arises out of their duty to bury the dead. So falling to Rex, it would make sense that he and Ahsoka would bury them. Rex probably would have the, be the only one with anything like a legal duty to do so. Ahsoka's would have been moral because a significant number of the troopers painted their helmets to match her markings. So she had to feel a level of responsibility. They saw her as their leader. That had to be a gut punch with the, the number of dead and having to, you just don't leave them. You know, making sure that they had a proper burial was the decent thing to do. And in Rex's case, arguably the legal thing to do. Um, to ensure that their remains were honored. It would have been disgraceful just to leave them to rot. So that had to take a significant amount of time. I mean, the graves didn't look deep, but they didn't look shallow either. You know, the ship was still burning, but that could have been burning for days. You know, 9-11 burned for days. Arizona still leaks oil after the attack on Pearl Harbor. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that that took days to do while they were also readying the ship, uh, the Y-Wing, in order to go to the, wherever they were going to next. 
Yeah, so, the graves were definitely like individual. It wasn't a mass grave. It was like oh. they were individual plots. They were individually marked. It just said so much about their care and their compassion for the, the fallen troopers. Um, I thought it was a really remarkable image. And it really evoked uh, so the, the way that they set that up was evocative of what they call a, a fallen soldier battle cross or just a, a battlefield cross. And it's, it, it can be a grave marker, but usually it's a symbolic marker of a fallen soldier where you've got uh, boots at the base, an unloaded weapon uh, that's put muzzle into the dirt, and then a helmet on top. Uh, it's it's very iconic. You've probably seen it all over the place in in pop culture and and whatnot, uh, and maybe on display elsewhere. But it's sort of an iconic symbol of uh, a soldier's final resting place. So the fact that they incorporated that and that's sort of like the last scene that that Ahsoka is lingering at is is really poignant. And it really struck me on a on a rewatch. You know, when that there's that moment when they're in that control room overlooking the hangar and, and Rex is getting emotional because they're facing kind of horrible odds and and he's he's resisting the idea of giving up and having no other choice but to fight. And Ahsoka has that line about like, they may be ready to die, but I won't be the one to kill them, but she will be the one to bury them, uh, which was a really remarkable statement about how the Jedi turn the other cheek. They will not, turn on their you know their companions their their fellows but they will be there for them even in the very end of their lives they'll be there to take care of them and to inter them if necessary but it was just so beautiful it's such a great statement about the jedi again it's kenobi showed uh, sympathy to maul in maul's final seconds of life i know it's goes to the larger message you know, living bitter and mean is not a good way to live. Uh, you just, you don't win that way and you don't live that way. So the, the idea of compassion and forgiveness are, 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 are significant. And which again, for me, highlights that both Rex and Ahsoka are two of the most dynamic and important characters in all of Star Wars now because of what they go through and what they represent and neither seen live action. Yet. Not yet. yet. And which brings us to what we're going to call the post May the 4th news and then speculation. So I, I will go on the record and I think I've represented this before. I hate speculation. The, it's not real unless it's on starwars.com. So let's start with what we know. There'll be a new Disney Plus series that uh, Leslie uh, Headland will be the showrunner on or the writer on, and that's awesome. We have no idea what it will be other than we're gonna get a, a fourth series. So, because we get Kenobi, we get Andor, and we have Mandalorian, so we're gonna get a fourth and we have no idea anything. A Star writing. Wars legal drama. Let's all cross our fingers right now. I know. That <laughs> writing it for us, and we're going to get invites to be executive producers and creative consultants. And you know what? We would all be giddy at that. We would be there in Jedi robes very quickly. Uh, so, yeah, uh, here to serve. 
craft services. I would just, I would be there for donuts if I, you know, carry the coffee, anything. That sounds awesome. We'll teach them what pro bono means. <laughs> I'm really good at mopping. If you guys need that, I'm your man. So the other one, and this one, I was ecstatic over that Taika Watiti will direct and co-write with Crystal Wilson uh, uh, Carnes a new Star Wars movie. Not a trilogy, so it looks like they're going away from that and that he's going to get a movie. His finale to Mandalorian was exceptional. This man clearly understands Star Wars. The fact he could make you cry over a robot highlights just how good he is. Or doing a political satire about old Nazis with Hitler, the man's brilliant. Thor Ragnarok is one of my favorite Marvel movies. I just throw him money, let him do Love and Thunder, let him do this, and by all means, take my money, I'm on board. Then he there's... Was, oh, I was just gonna say, he was so great in that, um, the um, Disney Gallery, is that what it's called on um, Disney Plus, the sort of the behind the scenes thing, where he had that, he said that Star Wars doesn't take itself seriously, but it really believes in itself, which I thought really captured how he approaches making movies and making content. It's so funny and so, um, you know, it doesn't take itself seriously at all, but it's so earnest and it's so warm and genuine and authentic. And I think he just really has a really good sense of, of um, how to make a Star Wars story. I'm so excited for that. I, I'm giddy, absolutely ecstatic. Uh, now we get to the speculation. So there's speculation that in Mandalorian season two, we'll get Ahsoka Tano and speculation that, that we'll get either Boba Fett or as I texted Thomas, that other fans are now keying in on maybe a live action Captain Rex. All or of that- Ian Wren, there's, I saw another rumor about that. <laughs> it's just, it's not real until it happens. This could all be a giant dissemination campaign. They could be trolling us. And it's not real it's, unless it's on StarWars.com. And they like doing surprises. The child was a well-kept surprise. Like they would let Boba Fett out of the bag. There were Captain Rex or Ahsoka. It's just, the speculation drives me bonkers. And it's just like, just wait and be surprised. Be grateful. Personally, I'd rather have Cad Bane. I, I, and I'll, I'll go on record here. I don't care about Boba Fett. Overrated. Don't care. You would be compelling. I, I read an, an interesting article that was kind of breaking down, like, what would Boba Fett be in this series, right? Like, what would be – because you, you need to have a point. I, I don't think that Filoni or Favreau or Watiti would bring a character like that into this show just to flex and be like, look what we can do. Here he is. Okay, goodbye. He's going to have some sort of purpose for, for you know, being in there. And one of the most fascinating – takes and i think an effective way to bring him in is if he's the foil to the mandalorian to din Djarin, uh, the the 
you know, sort of idealized bounty hunter that knows no limits and has no compunction about things like, you know, protecting a child. And if he becomes this sort of like uh, reflection of Din Djarin that that's, uh, you know, on some level a bad guy, obviously Moff Gideon is going to play a primary role uh, in the Imperial Remnant. But if you've got this sinister element that's brought in. Definitely there. Or the idea of Ahsoka makes sense because a force wielder to take the child or be a surrogate to the child makes a lot of sense. Well, and the Darksaber's in play too, so we have to have someone to have lightsaber fights with the Darksaber. Yeah. Or Katie Sarakoff to come in as Bo-Katan. Like, again, there yep. are ways... Match that, that he... shit back from him. <laughs> yeah. How, how old would... Uh, Bo-Katan B. So it's five years after Jedi. So that's 25 years after the Siege of Mandalore. So she's 50? 50s. 50s? Yeah. I mean, she's, we'll, she's... We'll call her like Ursa Ren age, so still like in, in ass-kicking age. Yeah. yeah. Probably over 50. She's yeah. probably... I mean, Siege of Mandalore, 30 would make sense because she's has some life experiences to her uh so again being in her 50s sarkov could do that you could totally do that um that that said let's just wait and see so i i've heard guys talk about speculation and i just want to scream it's like you don't know you're writing fan fiction stop it be grateful. There are so many options. Uh, that said, you boys have your own hopes and dreams. I think I, I did see, didn't I, that um, Genevieve O'Reilly is coming back to play Mon Mothma in the Cassian series, or was that just a rumor? Am uh, I just perpetuating rumors? I, I saw that too. Okay. No, I think that's confirmed. I'm so excited. Mon Mothma is one of those characters for me that I just, I've just loved her from those like four seconds that she's in in Return of the Jedi, like the mystery that she has and like her network of spies and her resistance. I, I've always found her to be such a great character. And so I'm so excited to see her. Yeah, and if we get to see her pre-abandoning the Senate and playing this sort of Princess Leia-esque like double agent role where she's got the public face and then privately she's putting together the the rebellion or the seeds of it. Hell, if Jimmy Smith comes back and reprises his role as Bale, oh, that's going to be a great series. Her dynamic with Saw Guerrera, the tension between oh, yeah. the two extremes of the, the philosophies of rebellion, and oh, it's so great. There's so much to yeah. mine there. Yeah, that would be back when <clears throat> Saw was still a little more within the fold. So you could, you've got fertile ground for storytelling there. And Saw having more of his original body as opposed to getting all weird breathing mask because when we see him in rebels he's not cut up yet so that eventually happens to him i i really look forward to andor because one i love the character two i love a good spy story and they have so many options for doing a star wars spy story I, it's he can shave, he can clean up, make him kind of like a Bond movie or the 
1960s, you're behind uh, the Berlin Wall in East Berlin doing some mission. There are so many opportunities that they have. I just, I can't wait. And Diego Luna is just so good. I, I would say, uh, you know, for me, he's top five in terms of uh, actors who have just uh, knocked their roles in Star Wars right out of the park. If you've been to one of those, uh, what do they call them? The Void. It's like that virtual reality game that's near Disneyland or Disney World. And they have a few other locations. They have a Star Wars game that you can play and, and go through. And Diego Luna reprises his role as Cassian at the start of it to give you your mission briefing. And like, I'll be damned if he wasn't in like full rogue one mode, this wasn't like someone cashing in a check and, and uh, you know, given a half-assed performance. I mean, he is Cassian through and through in it. And I like, was, I remember the first time I played the game, I was like all fired up as soon as I went through and was with a few like casual people that I don't know that they had seen rogue one. They were like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And I'm like, shut up and follow his orders. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if either of you played the old Republic, um, the um, Bioware um, MMO, but the uh, the Imperial agent storyline, that class line is sort of famously the, the most popular, one of the best ones. It hangs together so well. It works so well in that universe. There's kind of like mind um, sleeper agent games and it's so cool. It works really well, Josh. I, I can't wait to see it in the Cassian one too. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And again, then we get Kenobi. So many options. I think there's ample fodder for a series just on Tatooine with the old Jedi in hiding. So lucky time to be alive for people who've seen Star Wars as part of their life. And uh, it's just such a wonderful time. Uh, plus, there's also been uh, Lucasfilm saying nice things about the, and in paying tribute with Mark Hamill actually doing the presentation about uh, all of the, those who are first responders, uh, medical professionals, uh, showing them in their cosplay. That is just so neat and that Lucasfilm is honoring their fans that way. So again, wonderful time to be alive. Uh, wonderful time to be a Star Wars fan. And again, this was an amazing series and I'm sure by the time of celebration, whether or not it happens, I think there will be announcements by then. So that even if we're physically not together, that they will still have information to go out and to inspire and for all of us to be excited about. So with that, uh, gentlemen, uh, let's go through your social media so people can follow you. Uh, Stephen, where can people find you on Twitter and other social media? Well, I'm on Twitter at Steventure. It's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-U-R-E. -E -E. uh, and that's pretty much my only media, social media presence, but hope to see you there. I'm on Twitter at Thomas L. Harper, L as in Lee. So it's just massively creative, I know. So my personal Twitter is at Bowtie Law. Uh, find me on LinkedIn with my name. Or uh, you follow the Legal Geeks Twitter handle at the Legal Geeks. And that also will get you to Facebook and Instagram. So with that, everyone, 
Thank you for tuning in. This has been a wonderful adventure. And we'll have more legal analysis, and this definitely will not be the last time we talk Star Wars. And everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.